Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good afternoon. Welcome to the weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Laura Leslie, WRL Capital Bureau Chief. And I am Will Doran, WRL State Government Reporter. So a busy week, as uh, as you put it, the election season is starting to warm up. We had Kamala Harris in, uh, in Charlotte yesterday, I believe. Uh, our Robert F. Kennedy is Jr. Uh, is committed to Raleigh tonight to do his first appearance here and kick off his signature drive to try to get the signatures he'll need uh, to get on the ballot. And then um, I had a chance to talk to Pete Buttigieg uh, this week, actually just yesterday, talking to him about... Um, uh, he wasn't in town, but uh, but he was making appearances virtually to talk up uh, a, a new uh, program for grants for expanded high speed EV chargers. So a lot of presence by the Biden administration, especially in Durham this week. Yeah, and I don't think that it's uh, any coincidence that uh, it corresponds with the uh, presidential election year kicking off here. I mean, you know, they're yeah. not here for the campaign. They're here to talk about, you know, official White House business. But you know, it's clearly a push to, you know, remind North Carolina voters, you know, hey, the Biden administration is doing these things and, you know, just keep them in the news uh, for good reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and they wanted to make sure that we got coverage of all these events just because of that. Um, in the meantime, um, things going on at the state level, we we learned actually late last Friday, but um, we did a story on it on Monday that the uh, the State Rate Bureau, which is not to be confused with the State Department of Insurance, they are two different entities. The State Rate Bureau is proposing a rate hike, a homeowner's rate hike average across the state of 42.2% and as high as 99% out on the coast. I mean, that's, you know, they, they often come in high and negotiate down, right? But that's about the highest I think I've seen them come in on this. Yeah, I mean, that is insane to tell people, hey, your insurance rates might double. And, you know, I mean, you know, there's obviously plenty of reasons, you know, for why the insurance rates may be going up, you know, especially on the coast, you know, climate change. We've all seen the videos of you know, beach houses falling into the surf uh, with the stronger hurricanes that we've had. But you're, I mean, you're right. This is often kind of a game of chicken, I think. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah, they you know, come the insurance in. Insurance companies it's... ask for for one thing, and then you know the state, you know, says no, we'll give you two percent instead of ninety nine percent, and then you know they meet somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I I heard um, uh, insurance commissioner Mike Causey talk about this at the council state meeting uh, just a few days ago. You know, he said that they've gotten uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of calls and emails uh, regarding this to his office, and not a single one has been in favor. Uh, surprise, surprise. People Shocked. aren't begging for their insurance to go up. Shocked to hear that. But, you know, um, I did talk to the folks over at the Rate Bureau about what was behind this. Right. And so apparently there are a couple of factors that are are driving this kind of requested increase. One, as you say, is climate change and the increasing severity of storms and not just at the coast, but inland. If you think about it, a lot of the time when we have hurricane effects, they come inland. They've come all the way up to the mountains in, in years past. But Raleigh is rarely exempt from the effects, you know, and that that's reflected in Wake and Durham County's uh, suggested rate hike of 39.2 percent, I think it was. Uh, but the other issue is reinsurance. So as 
there are bigger and bigger storms everywhere. Um, you know, when insurers don't have the money on hand to pay losses, they go to what's called reinsurance, right? So they have to buy additional insurance on a short-term market. And that is that has apparently gone up 50% um, in cost over the last couple of years. So because it's basically there's more and more insurers dealing with more and more catastrophes chasing, you know, the same pool of money. And so demand's higher, supply's not. So that was one of the, you know, they basically, what what the uh, gentleman at Rate Bureau told me is that, you know, you would be looking at somewhere around $400 cost per household just for reinsurance costs that they have to use when there's a disaster. Wow. Well, that's, that's pretty hefty sum. Yeah, it is. So I think they're going to be able to make their case to get more than 2% this time. Um, but who knows what it'll be. It is an election year, let's not forget. So that does work in the homeowner's favor, I suspect. Um, also this week, you covered um, the latest turn of the screw and in one of the many gerrymandering lawsuits. Yeah, uh, it was in federal court in Raleigh. Um, this was, you're right, there's, there's three gerrymandering lawsuits right now. Uh, this was the one that's specifically about the state Senate map. And even more specifically, it's really only about two districts, um, the northeastern part of the state, kind of just outside of Rocky Mount uh, from Warren and Halifax counties going basically all the way out to the Outer Banks and down towards nearly to Jacksonville on the coast. Right. Um, so just kind of that northeastern corner of the state. And um, several black voters are suing and saying that, you know, this part of the state is home to there's eight majority black counties in that area. And these two districts split them up between the two districts and in a way that both the districts are only about maybe 30% black and they're both expected to elect a Republican. They say that that is just clear racial gerrymandering that, you know, in this black belt part of the state where you have all these majority black counties, you shouldn't be splitting them up to create, you know, two Republican leaning districts. You should basically have one Republican district and one Democratic district. And so just the way that they, it's been done for quite for, for decades. Correct. Correct. Yeah, this is not a, a novel legal theory. Um, but, uh, you know, they say that essentially they you should be able to just swap a couple of counties back and forth between the two districts to fix this. You shouldn't have to touch any of the other 48 of our Senate districts because, you know, if you get into that, it could become a whole huge mess if they're going to have to, you know, start redrawing the whole map, you know, put all of the elections on hold for the Senate. Sure. That could get pretty messy. Um, and that's exactly what the Republican legislature says would have to happen. They say, no, we can't just swap some land between these two. We'd have to redraw basically everything. Um, the challengers say, no, that's not true. You could just, you know, fix only these two districts without touching anything else. I, but you know, they, they have county groupings for a reason. I mean, you know, it seems like that would be within the county grouping, you know. Well, that that the argument is that it's not within the county grouping uh, because ah. to do it, basically, you would have to split up Pasquotank County to do it the way that the uh, the challengers are asking. You'd have to split Pasquotank in half, um, which could violate some past state Supreme Court rulings on oh, uh, keeping counties whole. It's it's real complicated. Um, yeah, there's like a but, coral reef of litigation, layers of litigation, state and national. Yeah. Um, and it seems like you can't you can't turn around in, in this topic in the state without running into some kind of some kind of, of, of precedent that's going to get you in trouble for pretty much anything you do. Yeah, that, that's the thing with these gerrymandering cases. There's always some sort of precedent that either side can argue just because yeah. we've had them for decades. And there, you know, there's always been different ways of gerrymandering maps and different things that were done wrong or done right. So there's always something to point to to say, no, that's wrong or yes, it's right. 
But I think all of that, even just getting into the weeds on that, is maybe even a step too far because when I was in court, the the judge who was hearing the case, who's uh, James Dever, a, a former GOP attorney on some gerrymandering cases actually from the 90s, um, he was real skeptical of these claims and seemed uh, very inclined to rule in favor of the legislature and uh, and not allow the uh, the black voters to, to get their way on the map redraw. So I would be surprised um, if he did order the maps to be redrawn. Um, of course, if he does order the maps to be redrawn, then we'll have to figure out, okay, is it going to just be these two districts or could it be the entire state's you know, Senate elections are going to be put on hold, possibly delayed. Um, but it's, it appeared, at least from the the way the questioning went, uh, that he uh, was not too interested in, in doing that. And we'll probably just have the status quo, at least for 2024. Um, you know, all of these lawsuits, are, you know, have definitely have the potential after, you know, lengthy trials with expert witnesses and everything to to affect the maps for 2026. Um, it's just looking at this point that 2024 might be too big of an ask for judges to uh, to speed them through. And that is part of the reason they wait till so late in the year to do the redistricting. Exactly. Every time, because it does run out of the clock a little bit. Um, speaking of elections, um, we uh, had covered uh, in the last couple of weeks, there's been a bunch of different, not a bunch, but several challenges to candidates, um, which, I mean, this is the time of year when that happens, right, at the beginning of the year. Um, and one challenge in particular um, was, um, this was in Rockingham County, and it was unusual in that the, it was a, 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 a Joseph Gibson, who was a candidate who was a a would-be challenger to Reese Pirtle, who was the the current incumbent, the GOP incumbent in that Rockingham County House district, and the um, the head of the, the the county GOP went to the to the uh, election board and basically said, "We don't think this guy is eligible to vote uh, because he has uh, he had a felony record in Connecticut you know, twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, and he's never presented us with evidence that he has paid his due to society and had his rights restored." Very interesting. So the Rockingham County Elections Board basically agreed with her. He appealed it to the State Board of Elections and the State Board of Elections sent it back to Rockingham with instructions to look a little harder and see if there is proof that this guy has actually, um, you know, regained his right to vote. Um, They were just about as unanimous about that as the Rockingham County folks were in, you know, denying it or in accepting the challenge in the first place. So that's a very interesting whole case because Gibson kind of maintains that the reason that he's being targeted is not because he's running against an incumbent, but because he's actually against casinos. And of course, Rockingham County is would be the site of one of the casinos. And that's something that's been backed. Um, you know, pretty thoroughly by a Senate leader, Phil Berger, also of Rockingham County. So um, interesting, interesting uh, backstory there. Yeah. Yeah. Gibson says that, you know, he has been, yeah, I mean, he was, he was on the ballot in 2022 when he said the Republicans didn't fight me then, but, you know, all of a sudden I start opposing casinos and they're fighting me now. Um, And he says that he has gotten his voting rights back, you know, that, uh, I guess all of his felony convictions are from Connecticut, which he says in Connecticut, you sort of automatically get your rights back once you're out of prison. It's not like North Carolina where you have to finish your probation parole. Um, And, but the Republicans say he hasn't actually proven that and that they believe that he may have actually been on probation or parole here recently. So there's just a whole lot of, you know, one side saying the other side's wrong. Um, I understand that actually uh, just recently, I, I think just minutes before we started recording this podcast, um, the Rockingham County uh, Board had ordered uh, 
that he can be on the ballot. Um, yep. Yes. Um, and now the GOP is going to appeal that to the state board. So it's going to come back up to the state board. They're going to get a second crack at it. I, I don't know yet because, like I said, this is literally just breaking in the last couple of minutes um, that the the state GOP is, is working on this appeal. Um, so I, I don't know when that hearing will be happening, um, but apparently that is going to be happening. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes tuned to uh, WRL.com for uh, more details as we figure out uh, what they are. Right. Um, in the meantime, um, our colleague Brian Murphy did some great reporting this week on sports betting, the progress they're making toward it. You know, the, uh, the, the betting, the big betting mega companies are trying to cut deals with sports franchises here um, or sports venues here in the state because that's what's required for them in order to be eligible to offer mobile to, to offer sports betting here. So um, we still don't have a date for when that's going to start. We do know it's not going to be at the beginning. It's not going to be by the Super Bowl, which I think some lawmakers had wanted. But it looks like it might be by uh, this week, by, by by March Madness. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think if you uh, if you had private industry in charge of this, it would definitely have been up and running in time for the Super Bowl. Uh, the uh, the government was uh, maybe not quite as uh, motivated to to push that through. But I. I I spoke with Governor Cooper about this recently, and he seemed pretty confident that it would be up and running in time for March Madness. Um, that's at least what he hopes happens. Uh, obviously, he's a big uh, UNC basketball fan. Maybe he wants to put five bucks on the heels to to make a deep run or something. I don't know. All right. So um, this week, also, you covered one of the first committee hearings of the year. Not the first, but one of the first. Uh, the HOA Reform Committee. And this one came out of... Y'all might remember last year we covered a couple of bills that were filed by bipartisan groups of lawmakers trying to crack down a little bit on how HOAs can um, enforce their rules and 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 under what circumstances they can seek to foreclose on people. And those bills did not get anywhere this year. That's true. So this is based on just some horror stories that have been reported in the news in the last year or so of, you know, People losing their houses to foreclosure, um, you know, in cases where the HOA doesn't even have to necessarily give them notice that they're about to take their home away uh, for things like, you know, an unpaid $20 fine for, you know, uncut grass, you know, that maybe the homeowner didn't even know that they owed something like that. And, you know, people are losing their houses over this, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars investment. And so there's just been such an uproar from people and you know th- those are the extreme examples there's obviously you know other examples of you know just people squabbling with their hoas you know i, I think anyone who's lived in an hoa is you know, familiar with that um sure. but yeah but, I mean, like but, you said I mean, it's sorry i just just to, to interject you know because i did a story about this last year and i remember at the time the hoas their argument was what you know what is it that we're supposed to use to get people to to follow the rules right like what other what other leverage do we have and what, and if you take that away from us, are we, are you basically going to, you know, make us declaw us, you know, in a sense to make us powerless and, and, and not able to, to do what people want us to do. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, and, and like you mentioned a moment ago, that this kind of all led to this bipartisan push and their proposal to, to address that exact same concern was HOAs was basically just to put a limit on it. Say like, you know, HOAs, you can still foreclose on people's houses and, you know, take their house, but it has to be, um, you know, the numbers changed over the course of the legislation, you know, it's like, it has to be, you know, at least $2,500 in fines, or it has to be at least $1,000 in fines. You know, you can't just take someone's house over 20 bucks, um, you know, not cutting their grass one time. 
kind of thing. Um, so they were trying to hit that middle ground, but the HOAs lobbied hard. They, they were able to kill that bill uh, last year, um, but uh, it did at least uh, lead to this committee being created to sort of study the issue, come back. They're due in March to file a report to legislative leaders kind of with new proposals on like, okay, here's how we can, you know, push some reforms that, you know, might have a, a chance of passing. And, you know, representatives for the HOAs were at that meeting that I covered. Um, you know, they said that they want to be involved. Of course they do. Um, there were also plenty of people who were unhappy with their HOAs who were also at that meeting. Um, so, you know, that report, like I said, that's due in March. Short session, short session starts in April. Um, so, you know, we could possibly see some more movement there. Um, you know, we'll see. Um, there's there's plenty on the docket that could be coming up in April. Um, or they could just want to get out as quickly as possible and go hit the campaign trail. So. Yeah, you know, there are some, um, I won't say like not necessarily members of leadership involved in those in that push to sort of regulate HOAs more, but I will say some of the more senior members, especially in the House Republicans, are are definitely backing that. So I do think it has legs. I just, you know, as you say, a lot of times what you hear in the short session is that's a long session issue. So we might hear that as another stalling tactic this year, or maybe we won't. I don't know. It'd yeah. be a great, yep. Yeah be great for uh, be great for after the primary so <laughs> so cynical i know um and so um i wanted to mention not a lot going on next week we know that um on uh wednesday there's another skeleton session that's at noon in the house and senate we've been told that senator berger won't even be there and i don't think the house has anything planned either so it looks like another quiet week but the week following that, we start to fire up all those select committees and joint legislative committees on governmental oversight. So uh, we're getting into committee season as we move further into the month. Yeah, which is going to be interesting. You know, it's going to, I mean, you know, ballots are going to start going out for you know, in the mail for the primaries in late January. You know, early voting starts in February. And, you know, but meanwhile, the legislature is planning to start pushing ahead with some of these oversight committees um, at, you know, at the same time that all these primaries are heating up. So it's going to be a busy time for everybody uh, in and out of politics. Exactly. Well, thank you for joining us this week. We really appreciate you tuning in here on The Wrap, and we hope you will join us again next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.